So let's turn our attention now in Matthew chapter 2 to the account of the wise men, a star, and the king. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod... The king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod, excuse me, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go, search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord on this brisk and beautiful Christmas morning. Rather than doing a deep dive, as we're wont to do on on Sunday mornings often, I know some of you have uh, got a few things waiting on you at home, Uh, we'll simply just consider three profiles of people, three groups of people that we're introduced to here in this Christmas text. First, we see Herod, the king who sees Jesus as a threat to his authority. Next, we see the chief priests and the scribes who have a knowledge of the truth, but no submission to it. And thirdly, we see the wise men who fall down and worship King Jesus. Would you look at me, uh, look with me, excuse me, back at verse 1 here in Matthew 2. Matthew tells us that these events, which, by the way, it's just too good not to mention, um, happen in Bethlehem of Judea. It's so amazing to me that Jesus, the bread of life, is born and comes up out of Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. Only God can pull something like that off. Anyhow. These things take place, verse 1 tells us, in the days of Herod the king. Now, the Herod in this account, because there was multiple Herods at this time in this dynasty, this particular Herod was Herod I, and he was called Herod the Great for a reason. This Herod was a master builder, including, by the way, restoring this resplendent and beautiful temple that the Jews were worshiping in, Right there in Jerusalem. He also, that's Herod the Great, 
ruled his kingdom with a firm and even a ruthless grip, even murdering one of his wives and several of his sons and other relatives. In fact, Caesar Augustus, right, the, the emperor, was reported to have said this about Herod the Great. It's better to be Herod's pig than his son. The words from Caesar. And I, I guess that slam makes a little bit more sense uh, in the original language where, where pig and son kind of rhyme a little bit. But anyway, you, you get this is a bit of a dig here. Um, getting to Herod's ruthlessness and much of his heavy-handedness, particularly later in his reign where Jesus steps onto the scene, comes from a paranoia that Herod had about losing his throne. What's more, and and this is fascinating, it was commonly thought back in this time that heavenly signs, such as comets or falling stars or other things in the heavens, were predictors of the fall and sometimes the rising of rulers. So many kings, think about this, many kings were fearful of these omens in the skies. So it makes sense then, doesn't it, that the wise men's inquiry about this newborn king of the Jews would produce some major angst for Herod. Look back at uh, verse 3. We see that he, Herod, was troubled. And not just Herod, all Jerusalem with him. I mean, this guy was... A bit unstable. This guy was paranoid about losing his throne. Then all of a sudden, there's word out and about about these heavenly signs. The city is buzzing. What's Herod going to do? There's an open claim to kingship. This king of the Jews has been born. And something's going to go down. And this is a very valid concern that the inhabitants of Jerusalem had. If you keep reading, which we won't do this morning, you'll find out if, just, if you look ahead to verse 16, that when Herod isn't able to find this newborn king, this one who has an ostensible claim to the throne, he has all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region killed who are two years old and under. Can you even imagine the pain, the heartache? This has Jerusalem in a stir. So the the question is for us this morning, I think, what was Herod's response to the news of this king of God's people? Well, Herod sees Jesus as a threat to his kingdom, a threat to his authority, a threat to his throne, and and although not a physical throne, I think you'd agree with me if we think about what this means for us here today in 2022, that this is still a rather common response to Jesus. I mean, come on. Many people don't follow Christ, not out of an ignorance of who he is or who he claims to be. But many around us here in society today, knowing full well who Jesus claims to be, want no part of his rulership because his rule is a threat to theirs. His rule is a threat to their own authority, their own ability to decide for their own lives what to do and what not to do. 
What's right and what's wrong? What's to be celebrated and not? Who's on the throne? That's the question. And Herod said, it's me. At all other expenses, I'm going to sit on this throne. I call the shots. I'm the driver of my destiny and this nation. That's still a very common response to Jesus. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, let me gently remind you this Christmas, He is indeed King. He's sovereign. He calls the shots. He's master. That's what the word Lord means. He's ruler. He's sovereign. He calls the shots in the cosmos and over your very lives. Let's be reminded today in reaction to and repulsion to the response of Herod that Jesus is a good king and he commands, even demands, our allegiance. That's Herod. Well, the, the, the second group of people that I want us to take a look at, we encounter in verse 4. Take a look with me here. In Matthew 2, verse 4, we see that there's these chief priests and scribes who are called at Herod's beck and call. They're, they're, they're brought in in response to his question. It's interesting, by the way. The wise men showed up and asked the question, hey, who's been born king of the Jews? Verse 2. Now, if you're looking carefully, you'll see in Verse 4, Herod's question is different. He doesn't ask who the king is. He asks where who is? Where the Christ is. Even wicked Herod has an understanding of the Jewish culture and theology. He knows to expect the Christ. And so Herod's question to these, these religious leaders, these chief priests and scribes, is where's, where is this Christ Supposed to be in your prophecies. And these, this group of people, the chief priests and the scribes, represent a very different response to Jesus, albeit another negative one. These leaders represent those who have a knowledge of the truth, but who fail to submit to it. When Herod asks the question, where is he? Where is he supposed to be born? Notice, they give the perfect answer. What do they do? Look, look here, verse, verse 4 and following. They quote Scripture, don't they? If you're, if you're citing or looking at the cross-references in your Bible, they bring up the Old Testament prophecy from Micah 5.2. That's an easy one, they say to Herod. We know our Bibles. We know the the facts about the coming Messiah. They know exactly where he was to be born. So get this. They know biblical prophecy. They know what God's Word says. And yet that knowledge of the truth doesn't change them, does it? I mean, these wise men are coming with an entourage from the east. This is a pretty big deal. There's signs in the heavens. And they say, Where's the Christ? And these wise men, although giving the answer, do nothing really about it, do they? Perhaps they thought that Herod's sweep through to eliminate any pretenders in his mind to the throne had taken care of the problem. I don't know. Here's here's the point as we think about the chief priests and the scribes. Head knowledge is not enough. We know this. Saving faith 
A right relationship with Jesus Christ isn't a matter of amassing to yourself all the right facts or even nodding your head in agreement about right biblical theology. These chief priests and scribes remind us, I think, or they should, of Jesus' words when he gives that parable in Matthew 7. You know the one about two men who build their houses One on the rock and one on the sand. Both men hear the Word of God. The only difference between the guy who builds his house on the rock and the guy who builds his house in the sand is although they both hear God's words, one puts them into practice, one does something about them, and the other does not. Friends, let me remind you this Christmas morning, hearing and knowing the truth is not enough. We have to respond. We have to submit to the truth of Christ and His claim for kingship. We've got Herod who's threatened by Christ's claims. We've got the chief priests and the scribes who know all the right answers but don't bow the knee to Jesus. And then lastly, of course, we see these wise men. We're introduced to them right at the beginning of the chapter here in verse 1. Some of your translations rather than wise men might read magi. So which is it? Well, it's just the same word. The, that word in, in English, magi or magi, depending upon where, you, where you're from in America and how you say it, is simply just the plural form of the Greek word. Magi is the untranslated Greek, and wise men is a rough rendering of that today. We, we, we know very little about these wise men, including how many there were. Now, tradition says, and Some of you may have been singing the song this Christmas, that there were three of them. We actually don't see that here in the text, do we? The number three comes from tradition. Actually, we even get their names from some sources, but we probably get the number three from the number of gifts that they're bearing. Notice we don't see the number of men, just the gifts that they're offered later here in the text. So I want to caution us from jumping to too much too many conclusions that the text doesn't clearly spell out. Although, I, I should point out that there is one lesser known theologian named Gary Larson who claims that there was another fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. Uh, I'm sorry. Couldn't resist. Some of you like the far side. Merry Christmas. All right. Back to the text. We're, we're almost there. These wise men are following the star. Now, lots of ink gets spilled on what this star was, what, what it could have been. Was this star a planetary conjunction? Some have even gone on to name the planets and, and say by studying the stars, man, maybe, it was a, maybe it was some sort of conjunction of Jupiter or Saturn and Mars to, to, to cause this weird phenomenon in the sky that got their attention. Others claim it was perhaps a comet or maybe even a supernova, perhaps something else. Again, these things are fun to talk about, and there, there's a lot you can go read up about these things. The point is less... What scientific phenomenon was happening? And, and, and God's point here to us in Matthew 2 is something else different entirely. Not what physiologically is making the thing twinkle, but rather 
the simple point that this heavenly wonder is undeniably an act of God. How do we know that? Well, look what the star's doing for crying out loud. Look at verse 9 with me. I mean, first of all, they're following it from out east, and we don't know exactly where these magi come from. It's, it's thought probably somewhere like Iran, maybe Persia, ancient Persia, or Babylonia. They've made quite a travel. And, and not only have they followed the star, generally speaking, to Jerusalem, they, they go in and they ask the king, hey, the king would be at the capital, right? Where, where is this king? Then after they're dismissed from Herod, they follow the star, this is interesting, it's, verse 9 says, it went before them. What in the world does that even mean? The star went before them, and then it comes to rest directly over where the child was. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on here, but let's just state the obvious. This is not typical star activity, is it? Bethlehem is only six miles to the south of Jerusalem. So if they're following the particular track of this star, which leads them in a micro distance of six miles and then stops directly over the place where Jesus is, what we can see is very specific, localized directions given by this star. This is amazing. It's like twinkle, twinkle, Google Maps. I mean, it's amazing. Whatever navigation system you prefer, I don't mean to insult you if you follow Waze or something else. But The point is, the activity of this star is nothing less than a divine miracle. Right. Let's look at their response here at the end of the passage. Here's, here's the point we're driving toward. One When they're led by this star, verse 10 tells us they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's some some repetition for you. They rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced a big whole lot exceedingly with a lot of the joy they're rejoicing with. God's repeating himself for emphasis. What's he saying? These guys were coming unglued with joy about what God was doing before them in revealing this Christ, this child king. We see joy as their response partnered with, look at verse 11, falling down in worship. Now, a word about these gifts. These these wise men come laying these expensive gifts, gifts really fit for royalty. Now, we won't spend too much time on this, but it's fun to think about the ostensible symbolism here. Gold, of course, a precious metal then as now, is often symbolic of royalty. Frankincense is an incense, right? It's right there in the word frankincense. Frankincense was an incense used um, as the primary ingredient in temple worship. It was actually used for the incense that was regularly offered before the Lord, symbolizing in the temple the prayers of God's people. What's frankincense symbolized? Well, well, some theologians say, well, this speaks to Jesus' role as, as our mediator, as our intercessor, pleading, praying for us. Hebrews tells us he's still doing it. Up in heaven. Gold, frankincense, and then myrrh. 
which again, uh, uh, expensive spice, uh, a burial spice used for embalming, which perhaps could foreshadow right from the moment of his birth or soon thereafter, Jesus' death, his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Now, you can, you can have fun thinking about some of those connections and, and whether they're there or, or, or not, but, but what's, what's clear and what's in the text here is that these wise men are foreigners. They're Gentiles. They're, they're probably pagan. And yet, by the revelation of God Most High, they come following a star and bow down to worship. That word literally means to prostrate themselves before this child who they rightly understand as the king. So if Herod is threatened by Jesus' kingship, if the if the scribes and Pharisees are ambivalent, if they understand the facts but shrug off his lordship, then we rightly can take our cues from these wise men and bow. That's our right response. Nothing, nothing uh, crazy or out of the ordinary this Christmas. Just a reminder and a charge to you as the people of God that Christmas is about bowing. It's about prostrating your life before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's interesting to note in closing that these non-Jews, that these Gentiles are seen as coming before the Messiah King and, and worshiping Him just like all of the Old Testament prophecies like coming together and colliding in this moment. That there would be one born of the seed of the woman, born to, to Abraham, who would be a blessing to all the nations. Here he is. Here come all the nations represented here, laying their gifts, bringing their worship. And so too should we this Christmas morning. 